Bro, I be telling you, bro, she spray, spray gas on the stage. She hella funny, bro. Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie Foster. Catch her on the stage, yeah, you know she's a monster. Hair done, nails did, always looking so proper. She the real deal like some homemade pasta. Everywhere she goes, she flow like the water. And she's too hot for y'all, unlike your mama. Always cool, no need for drama. She spit straight gas like a petrol llama. Straight gas like a petrol llama. Happy Friday, my sweet little Petro Llama listeners. I need a name for my listeners, if anyone has any ideas. Um, But this week I have my friend Brad Crane on from high school, and he is just lovely. You're really going to enjoy this episode. We crack up, um, and we talk about a lot of serious stuff too. Okay, enjoy. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Petro Llama. Sorry we had to skip a week. I had some people cancel on their interviews. Huge bummer. But thanks for hanging out with us. And if you could do one thing this week, please tell someone who doesn't know about this podcast about this podcast. That would be super helpful in getting new listeners. So speaking of listeners and guests and all those things, this week I have my friend Brad Crane on the show. Hi. Hi. <laughs> oh my God. Hi. Um, so Brad and I went to high school together. We actually met through my brother because you were in Joe's grade, right? Correct. Yeah. You're his kid sister. Ew. Is that really how you thought of me? His kid sister? I honestly, I obviously I remember you, but like you had asked a question, like, what was it like the first time that I met you? to maybe, maybe to most people. And I was trying to remember what it was like the first time that I met you. And I, you know what I do remember? Not Deborah Milioni. Okay, do you, guess what? She what? lived 10 minutes away from me in Santa Monica. Oh, really? So Deborah Milioni was our exchange student in high school and she was from Brazil and she was only supposed to live with us for six months. And then she ended up living with us for like a year or maybe even longer than that. And we lived in the same room and I thought I was going to murder her because she would lay awake at night and practice the word squirrel, but she couldn't do the QU. So she'd be like, squirrel, squirrel. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, death, murder happening. Um, but I'm actually going to hang out with her soon and get coffee. And yeah, I haven't seen her since she lived with us. That is, that's wild. You know, I was connected with her on Facebook for a long time. And then after I got off of Facebook, you know, I dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I love that um, Deborah lived there for a year and you definitely remember her. And I lived there all of my goddamn <laughs> life. And you I remember can't remember you. I just, when you met me. I don't remember the first time we met. Okay, I'm mad because I do. <laughs> you do? Yes. What happened? Okay, so you were over at our house. We were like sitting on the couches and I was trying to convince you to change your name to Bradson. <laughs> That's what Deborah called me. <laughs> Is that why? I guess so. I never maybe knew. I only, I- maybe I only convinced her to rename you Bradson. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
when we were just talking about her, I was like, she had a nickname for me, but I couldn't remember what it was, but it was Bradson. 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 Girl. Girl. <laughs> squirrel. Squirrel. Um, so where do you live now, Bradson? I am in Dallas, Texas. Cute. How long mm -hmm. have you been in Dallas? Uh, since like 2013, I think. Wow. And I know I, it's wild. I definitely want to give a shout out to your background because that's not an accident. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, um, I, you know, I started at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, if we're going to be at home, I started buying cut flowers every week just to yeah. have something like pretty to walk into. Alive. <laughs> so, yeah. So it started off with like one arrangement that I would always buy on a Sunday. And then it slowly turned into two arrangements that I would do every week. And now it's three. And now I've got a fern here. I've got succulents outside. I've got, I mean, it's really become a thing. Yeah. My therapist recommended I get a plant every time I was sad. And so now I have a lot of plants. <laughs> But I love fresh cut flowers. Those are my are you okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually great. I'm really good. good. Um, what are you doing now? Are you a florist now that you collect <laughs> yeah. flowers? Yeah. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I just go cut flowers out of people's <laughs> every time. Don't even go to a florist. You just cut them out of someone's ear. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of really pissed off neighbors. Um, no, I, I work for a, it's a healthcare company that is, that specializes in technology. It's very exciting. Wow. Um, sexy. I moved up to Dallas. My first real job out of school, I was recruited by Target. And so I was working in, I know, in HR for Target. I started dating a guy when I, I was down in Houston. He was up in <gasps> You're Dallas. You're gay? Huh? Oh yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> listeners, if you can't see me. <laughs> visibly I present super gay <laughs> and if you can't tell by my voice either I'm gonna hate listening to this by the way yeah I do every week so uh, um but yeah so I I moved up here with Target taking on a little bit more HR responsibility and blah 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 all that boring stuff and so I've been in um HR ever since I got my degree in biochemistry which why um <laughs> And then uh, um, go figure there's no money in science. Because no one believes in it. I know, especially <laughs> now, I'm so glad. Um, but everybody hates HR too, so I really don't know. Yeah, that's true. So wait, what happened to the, what happened to the boyfriend? Oh, we, it was bad. It was a very- Messy? It was a, yeah, it just, it ended, you know, it started off very romantic and fairy tale, and there's something very special about like, being far apart and, you know, having to like travel Texas um, <laughs> to go see each other and stuff. But, um, but yeah, it just ended up not being great and we grew apart and mm -hmm. that was that. But I wanted to be up here. My sister's up in Plano. I've got my Fun. two nieces and her family are up here. So, um, so that's why I wanted to get up to Dallas anyways. Yeah. Are, is any of your family still in College Station? Mom and dad, yeah. Really in the same house across from Jemmy? No, 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 not anymore. Although I saw the bird carts the other day uh, because we went to go check out the house. They painted it gray. Huh? Um, I know, brick. Anyways. Um, <laughs> you guys need a family therapist. Um, 
Speaking of family therapists, um, when did you come out to your parents? Was that hard to be gay in College Station, Texas? That's like nine questions, by the way. Uh, Yeah, well, so to answer your first, I would say sort of in summary, it wasn't that hard to be gay in College Station. I think that my high school experience and sort of like who I surrounded myself with, you know, like we were little nerdy kids. It was four girls. It was Leslie, Nicole, Kristen, and uh, Valerie. I became super close with them in middle school. They were like super nerdy, whatever. Starting in like freshman year, all of a sudden they were like the hot girls in school. And I was, I was like their, you know, their weird little friend. Um, None of them knew I was gay. Um, And so they sort of protected me throughout high school, which was amazing. Um, So that part was looking back, it wasn't, it wasn't that hard, honestly, as far as when did you come out? So I started coming out when my mom, you were talking about um, how you used to tan <laughs> illegally after, <laughs> after school or whatever. And I had done the same thing. There was like a little tanning place and, you know, I was driving. And so anyways, whatever, I'll, they obviously don't do their homework and like check their, your ID yeah. and stuff. But when I signed up, I, I gave them my address and they started sending Brad Crane things <laughs> to my house. So my mom intercepted some mail from the tanning place and she, <laughs> it was like in combination with a few other things, like she had been hearing things. I don't know. I had started going to being gay. There weren't a ton of out gay kids in school, yeah. but we had AM right there. So it was a very easy like bridge um, through the internet to meet people and, um, you know, sort of like develop an older friend group that I could, you know, engage with and stuff. And so I wasn't a huge drinker, but I would go and hang out with them a lot. And those stories, and of course, through like high school embellishment, you know, you would start talking and, um, you know, as we were like painting signs for homecoming (laughs) you know, building things for prom or doing whatever for student council, I would have these conversations in these people's homes whose parents were there and the parents talk and stuff. Uh-huh. So then when the um, when the tanning bed <laughs> paraphernalia and propaganda started coming to the house, my mom kind of cornered me one day and she was like, well, you have a lot to respond to or something like that. <laughs> And I, I was so, you know, I was so in my head about what coming out was going to look like. Yeah, I'm sure. That I, I said, hold on, mom. <laughs> I went upstairs to my room and I started like writing what I was going to say because I expected it to be like this huge fight or something. Yeah. I, tears or, you know, whatever. I, I really didn't know what to expect. And it wasn't from her specifically. It was just that was all that I had ever seen. It was like, yeah. you know, you come out, you're found out, your parents find out, you're out. I was never worried about that necessarily with mom, but I, I was I was scared. And I expected it to be this very dramatic thing, very cinematic, right? Yeah. And so I was like writing stuff down and she's yelling at me from downstairs. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? 
<laughs> you know? So I I finally came downstairs and I bet you were choreographing your coming out. So who knows what she was really thinking I was doing? Like I don't hiding stuff, like in her mind, like I was pulling down like bongs and shit from my you know, closet and like throwing them out the window. I really have no idea. But I finally ended up going down there and I like was shaking with my little paper. And in my head, I was like. I know I'm gay, but I was like, I feel like it's an easier sell if you say you're bi, whatever. I, really? Mm -hmm, yeah. So I came out as bi <laughs> to my mom, <laughs> whatever, uh, to my mom. Was your mom and, like? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. You know, like when I, when, I, when I recount this story, I always use the word sterile. Like she was very clinical. There was like, it wasn't even bad or good emotion it was like emotion less it was okay I hear you and that was kind of it so like my desire or my preconception that it was going to be like this huge dramatic yeah. thing where either we end up yelling at each other or like embracing in tears or whatever it was supposed to be in my yeah. head it just it wasn't it was like that was that and you know, beyond that, I don't remember much else of that conversation, except I remember us beginning to talk about like coming out to dad. And uh. when I was growing up, you know, dad and I have made a lot of progress, but it was a, it was tough. And the idea of coming out to him was not in my plan. And, um, you know, we kept that from dad for a long time. So I, I had that conversation with mom at, let's say 16. Okay. I had started coming out to some of my girlfriends around like 15. Um, and then I came out to my sister, maybe around 18. She, um, <laughs> she obviously we lived together because we are a brother and sister, but she had gone to A&M. So she was spending her first year in the dorms. My mom and dad had to go on a vacation and they called my sister to come stay with me. Um, <laughs> I guess I was tanning illegally <laughs> or whatever, you know? Um, Make sure, so, Brad, wear sunscreen while we're yeah, talking. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so I, you know, was really nervous, but I was like, I want to tell her. Too. Yeah. Um, and so again, I went in this crazy mind where I was like, I don't know what's going to happen in my head. She was like an immediate avenue to dad. So I was like, I, I have to tell her, but I have to make sure that it's not going to go beyond that. Yeah. So I'm like pacing upstairs and downstairs, you know, I'm like just, just trying to rile myself up. And I finally walk into her room and that one was a little emotional. And, um, you know, we, I, I feel like we both cried a little bit and that was kind of the reaction that I was hoping or that not hoping for that I was expecting. Yeah. And as I'm walking out of her room, she said, can I tell you something? And I was like, nope, like this is not I'm, <laughs> this I'm, is I'm, my you. moment. No, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so um, she said, I thought you were going to tell me you had gotten a girl pregnant. <laughs> I was like, is this better? You and were like, said, you I was like, Ew. Me at all. yes, <laughs> Ew. 
I would yeah. never. <laughs> um, and she and she said something like, "Yeah, you know, this is much better." Um, and then it took even farther after that. I didn't come out to my dad until, well, maybe I was like nineteen. I was I was living at the dorms. Um, he would invite me back to the house. I don't know. We had this huge patio with a bunch of plants outside. So every winter you got to move them under a fucking yeah. tarp or whatever. So he would always <laughs> oh, ask me. you home to help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, at that point, I still didn't want to initiate the conversation, but I, I had started telling my mom and my sister, like, if he asks, he's in some capacity ready to hear the Yeah. Answer. And so, and why were you so afraid of your dad? Was he like super religious, super manly man? Like it was like super like masculinity, you know, even growing up, I played tennis and I was in theater and I did more academic stuff rather than like football and, um, (laughs) you know, even baseball and basketball and stuff. I slowly, I, I let all of that shed because I wasn't into it. And so we just, there, there was hardly any common ground that yeah. either of us could really find. Yeah. And it was like, things felt tense because of that already. And so I was like, this other thing, it's just, re- I mean, you know, it's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, and so one weekend, he invited me to the house from the dorms. And, I, you know, I was helping him and he always started the conversation like, so how are the girls in school? And I, uh-huh. And I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm so busy with extracurriculars, or, you know, whatever. What and then- your, Sorry to interrupt. What was your biggest fear going into this conversation? With him, it was what I had seen on TV. I really thought that it was like, oh. I'm, I'm going to be disowned. I, mm. um, I, di- I, I don't really know what I was afraid of, I, but I was very afraid. I was very, yeah. very, very afraid. Well, and I think like, you know, fears are mainly things that we create in our own minds mm-hmm. and the fear of something, at least in my experience has often been way worse than just ripping off the bandaid and doing it. Yeah. And it says nothing about your dad or your fears came from. I mean, like no one showed positive coming out stories at that time. Exactly. Well, and that's the other thing too, is like what you saw on TV was very, very limited and it was usually pretty bad. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, the friends that I had made, they were also young college kids. So they were sort of either in the process of coming out themselves. Some of yeah. them had very traumatic stories um, and some were like me and they were like, we'll just deal with it when we have to have to. Yeah. So okay, it was sorry. just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was, I remember that I was like across the patio and he's asking me these questions and um, I'm, I have a, plant in my hand, a big pot, and I'm facing away from him. And he said something like, do you even like girls? Like that. Uh, and, so, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was like, this is it. I get, you know, I mean, this is, yeah, uh, this is it. So I said, I, you know, in my head, I was like, I've, I've been lying by 
a mission for six years, you know, however long it had been, I don't know, five years, whatever. Well, and I mean, you had running space between him. Mm-hmm. You also had the weapon. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a heavy <laughs> object in my hand too. Um, but keep in mind that was me in um, early college years, which I was uh, functioning on a diet of vodka and cocaine. So I Ew. was uh, <laughs> like rail, rail thin. So this plant was real heavy. <laughs> you were rail thinner than the rails you were. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I, my stamina was super low because my heart could burst at any moment. So, like, so you were just already sweating. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, I, I'm not built for this. Um, and so I finally did. I was like, dad, I'm gay. And he said, God damn it, Bradley, like that. Mm -hmm. So that started a very rough next couple of years um, because then it came out that my mom and my sister had known for a little bit longer. Um, You know, there was all this, it was just super complex family dynamic stuff. And he just felt so out of the loop and probably disrespected and yeah all of that so it was it was a a rough few years and then he finally sort of started to come around and and I don't I don't know what spurred that necessarily mm-hmm. but you know there were there were periods of time where we just wouldn't talk at all um yeah. and so I don't know if it was just time mm-hmm. or um you know maybe he saw how other families were and we weren't that and you know he realized that he had a little bit of control over that and a lot of it was like I think his I think his idea of what me being gay meant is you come out as gay then you're dressed as a woman like there I feel like he just presumed that that was kind of going to be the route that I was going and so and you were As also going to talk in high-pitched voices from here yeah, on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, ask them what its favorite glitter is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so as time went on, that didn't happen. So I, I guess he was like, okay, this is just fully who Brad is. And that's kind of where we're at right now. We're actually in a very good spot. Great. Um, I love that. It's been a long time since I've really thought about like that that conversation. Sorry for bringing it up. No, it's okay. It's good. good. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, I wonder what it was, you know, that maybe it was just like a conversation with another dad or with, and I gotta say, it's really weird to me that you thought that saying bye was going to be less controversial. I, you know, in my head, it was like, because it kept open the possibility that like, I could find a woman and then have that not be a lie and still be happy and like have everything be sort of, you know, normal or whatever. Yeah. So the end of the story could still end normally, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a vision that they could imagine. Interesting. Mm -hmm. You, you do weird things when you oh. need to like. <laughs> like. Oh, dully. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You do really weird things. What did you, how did you leave the conversation when he said, damn it, Bradley? 
I ended up leaving that day. I, I honestly, I don't remember what else happened that day. And then he had to call me back. Um, and then we had a very ugly conversation. Mm. Um, and then I left again. And yeah. then that's when really the roughest part of the entire thing started. Um, but, you know, you sort of go through like a you know, there's all the, the stages of even coming out. Like often it's like shame, 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 supreme pride where you're like out and like in Daisy Dukes and like a netting, <laughs> like a rainbow tank top or whatever. And I was able to do all of that like when I was in Houston because that was about the time that I moved there. Yeah. And so I could do all of that without really him seeing it. And I, I didn't want him to see that part of me. And I knew that he didn't want to see that with me as well um yeah I mean in your dad's defense I don't think my dad wants to see (laughs) (laughs) right I I mean most people probably don't yeah I know like pride parades are definitely you know 18 and up but it's always so wild to me this whole concept of coming out like there is no point in my life as a straight woman where I'm like, hey, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, I like dicks. dudes. I love dicks. <laughs> I tried doing that with my grandma and grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> How'd it go? Not well. Not yeah, well. I just think it's like someone was telling me the other day that at the high schools now they have pep rallies for kids to come out. And I'm like, that feels like a trap I don't think you get it (laughs) like that's not making them feel like they fit in that's like exposing them yeah highlighting like this is the one you beat up after school (laughs) (laughs) look at this parade of queers woo and then like you cheer them on (laughs) I don't know I don't know but I just remember being like this is a lot Uh uh-huh did you know I was gay in high school? Yeah. <laughs> I do remember my brother and I having this conversation. Oh, really? And he was staunchly in your corner. I just Aww. remember he being like, no, he's just really nice. <laughs> You're like, no, dude. I was like, I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these two things could be the same. Yeah, thing. but also that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and and um, my relationships with with like, you know, high school age guys was always really hard. I mean, even <laughs> um, even. <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. Um, but yeah, that's why, you know, I didn't, I didn't develop many friends with like dudes after freshman year. You know, I had my little group of girls and they were my protection from, you know, what I thought would be a really bad experience Yeah. in, in school. Okay. Let's um, <clears throat> tackle a myth. Oh, okay. So I assume that it was, and correct me anytime here if I'm just wrongly assuming things, but I'm assuming it was hard to make guy friends because once a guy knows that you're gay, he assumes you're going to hit on him. Yes. I mean, I think. 
are you or that you might not have anything to talk about since you know you're not into girl I, I I don't know I don't really know I mean I think that that's a part of it for sure um or that you'll turn them gay have you turned a straight man gay <laughs> yeah several many absolutely yeah uh-huh yeah yeah girls too I'm just you're gonna be gay after this by the way oh thank god and all your listeners <laughs> sorry guys too late don't try to tune out now yeah, uh-huh. you're already by you're already lost <laughs> yep mm-hmm. excellent um uh, yeah I think that's a part of it I mean and listen I think I've obviously had a very long time to think about this mm-hmm. and I think that it kind of says something about how often straight men feel they behave when it comes to like sexual predation or whatever. It's like, okay, this person will be unable to control whatever instincts they have because I am unable to control my own instincts. It's like a very strange, mm -hmm. I've yeah. never even thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why like women. Well, I, it's, it's like, if I treat women this way, mm-hmm. I don't want someone to treat me that way. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I, that's what I've always, always thought. The whole bathroom situation, like with trans people, like that's what this whole argument boils down to. It is not that they have an issue necessarily with trans people. It is that they are worried that straight men who are gross will (laughs) pretend to be trans so that they can then do this. And it's like this weird, I don't know. It's like, teach your sons better, you know? Right. I am so sick of people telling women like, oh, well, you shouldn't be walking home alone at night and you shouldn't be wearing that and you should be, you know, doing all this stuff. Fuck that. Men should not be harming women. Mm -hmm. How hard is that? Like, why are we still at fault? That woman in London, that's just like fucking wild. Yeah. The whole like Me Too thing was, you know, is, I guess, hugely, it was just like revelatory because I... I'm, I'm in a very big family. My mom is the youngest of nine. We've got tons of, I've got tons of cousins and we have little pods, obviously, you know, depending on our age. And so two of my cousins are, one is like a year above me and about six months to a year below me. And when the whole Me Too thing came out again on Facebook, I saw them post it before I knew what it was. Mm. And then I just began realizing how disgusting like dudes are when they feel like they can just do whatever. Anyways, and um, that really kind of kickstarted my own feminism already, uh, even though I was already kind of um, a staunch one, just because um, I think a lot of a lot of um, my protection growing up was because of strong women. It wasn't it wasn't me doing it. It was like often they were like protecting me even from myself, but um, yeah, from everybody else too. That's so cool. We're glad to have you on the team. <laughs> <laughs> glad y'all are on my team. Are you kidding me? Hell yeah. Duh. 
Yeah, it's been interesting, right? The whole Me Too movement. Like some people get it, some people don't. But I will say I've been thinking a lot lately about cancel culture. Uh Uh-huh. And it's something I really struggle with. Why? Because I feel like, okay, the end goal is to rid ourselves of this, right? Sure. Um, so if that's the end goal, we are now making it. So if anyone gets found out, they're canceled forever. Goodbye. There is no redemption. There is no ignorance. There is no moment of education. Um, there is no way back. And so I feel like that specific solution actually encourages men to just hide it better. Yeah. Then it does being like, oh, fuck, I messed up. That wasn't cool. I didn't know, like, whatever it happens to be. Like, obviously, there's a line somewhere, right? There's not going to be a perfect solution for everything. Like, mm-hmm. you raped someone, you should probably go sit on the bench for a while. Um, but I do wonder with, like, what's actually going to bring us to the end goal that we want to be at? Mm-hmm. And is just canceling anyone who did anything 10 years ago or said something incorrectly or like whatever, is that the best course of action? I go back and forth with this uh, because I think that there, I think that people would be open to redemption. Mm-hmm. However, they can't necessarily decide what is redeeming. So, you know, I think that that's where the problem lies. I think that the, that calling it out is great. I think that admitting that, you know, something that was should no longer be. Mm-hmm. I think that saying, hey, you know, I behaved this way back then. I own up to it. I've learned I behaved this way now or, you know, whatever. I think yeah. to me, to me, I've had to forgive so many people <laughs> like myself personally um, that I know, and, and my story is unique and ubiquitous, right? It is personal and universal, right? Like to an extent, um, I'm not king of the gays. I'm not the, our spokesperson, yeah. but I, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but I do think that in, you know, even in, in most people's families, you know, there has had to have been some sort of coming back together if only because it's like, you're going to be stuck in a a family event with them or whatever it might be. So I think that it is possible. And I think that people are open to it. However, like I can't necessarily teach you what you need to do to make me feel more comfortable. Yeah. It's not not my job. Yeah. You have to do that for me um, or for yourself or for our relationship or, you know, whatever else. And I think if you kind of distill it to that way, I think that most people would be, listen, sexual assault and, you know, racism and all of that. That's a, that's a, well, I don't know, I guess I was about to say, oh, it's very different from homophobia that I've experienced, but maybe it's not. But, um, you know, I think that you've got to, if, if you're the one being called out, like that means that you've got some serious work to do. Yeah. And I think that people can come out of it, but you have to, I think people know what is um, opportunistic. Yeah. I think people know what is sincere. Yep. And I think people, you know, we're in a 
world now where people can keep track of you, you know, so they know if it is temporary or if it is a real kind of change of heart. Um, yeah, that's so beautifully said, Brad. We love you. you. It's interesting because so it was like about this time last year, I guess. I don't remember if you saw this on my Facebook, but my cousin was put in a mental institution because she started dating a black woman. Okay. I think I, I think I remember something about this. And I tried to speak to my aunt about it, like sent the family a huge text and you know, a lot of my family was super against me posting something publicly, but I just did not know what else to do. I did not know what resources. And I felt like for me, that was the quickest way for me to get information and help as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Because as a family, we had been sitting on it for so long or what felt like to me for so long, which was probably 15 seconds. So it just it was so <laughs> alarming to yeah. me. It was so upsetting um, to be here in California and not be able to help her. But, and and like, she immediately got help, raised a ton of money for her. She no longer lives in that home. She lives with her dad. She's about to graduate, like all of the things. She's doing so much better a year from now. But I wonder if it's like, do you have any advice for kids that are still growing up in a closed-minded place. And even like that our listeners can share if they have a kid in their family. Like, what do you wish someone would have told you? I wish that people would have been more open about what a safe space kind of could be. Um, Because often you know, it was, you're so, there is, it is, it is hard when you feel that way in your own home and therefore you don't, that's, that should be the safest place that you have. Right. So when that feels unsafe, everything is unsafe. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I love that there are, especially, you know, getting a little bit younger and younger, that there are like gay straight alliances and um, that, you know, you have these very public forums or at least public faces where, you know, maybe home doesn't feel safe, but there's somebody in your school that does or, you know, whatever that might look like. Um, It is cliche that, you know, things will get better. Mm-hmm. That is that is an almost impossible thing to understand when you are feeling like oppressed in your own in your own family. So yeah, I don't I don't know really what the answer is, but just look for the good people. Honestly, I mean, there's there's that quote that they say that. Um, I can't even remember what it is now, but yeah, you just got to find your, your sort of family outside of, you know, people that you might be blood related to and they will help protect you. You know, I had it, like I said, in, in these four girls that I hung out with 
and my home life wasn't bad. I mean, especially, especially in sort of the universe of what could have happened. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is it. And it is a very fine line to be able to express how and why you need protection yeah. without exposing yourself to even more danger. It's, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it really is, but I think kind of going back, you know, people know what like sincerity looks like and people know when you're being genuine and, um, you know, that's what it is. Hell, Becky Burkhart, you know, my neighbor across the street, she didn't even really know it. And I don't even know that I knew it in very, in a lot of ways. She was also a very, that, that house was a very safe place for me. Yeah. You know, so um, and I think just this is, this is, you know, me now saying this, but being mindful and, and really truthful about what your situation is and who those people already might be, I think is really important. It's important to be grateful for that and for them, um, even, even if there is a lot of darkness around you. As it gets darker around me, it's so weird. I know, it looked like someone just walked in here. <laughs> it's so weird. It just got so dark in here. Um, oh my God, the Lord can hear you. <laughs> I know, ooh, she is pissed. <laughs> okay, this is wild, but we're almost out of time. I know, I keep looking at the clock. This it's is crazy. so quickly. I hope that somebody wants to like sit on the couch with us. You described the podcast as that with one of your girlfriends. That um, their podcast is like you sitting on the couch, but they can't see you. Yeah. <laughs> so I hope somebody invisible is on my couch. I think so. At least three. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll see. Um, okay, Brad. Linda, last time you shit your pants when is I was I was actually gonna open with this. I was gonna be like, hey everybody, my name's Brad Crane. And the last time that I shit my pants was March 2018 or whatever. Uh, and I actually think that's when it was, coincidentally. <laughs> I've been thinking about this. In Italy? No, 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 no. Oh. Wait, what did I just say that sounded like Italy? March 18th in Italy? Is March 2018 initially? I don't remember. No, it was, I was not in Italy, trust me. I was in my old apartment. Um, and <laughs> so, A, I was still drinking back then. So I had um, much less control over my bodily functions are you a sober girl too mm -hmm. oh my god yeah so a little bit over a year mm -hmm. i'm hitting nine months next week that's exciting those yeah. first few months are really hard i don't know that i'm like capital s sober that's a lot that's a heavy word <laughs> no 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 sorry it's not I'm not like i'm oh i'm secretly drinking and doing drugs yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'm like labeling myself as capital F. I am sober. Yes. There is something about that word that sort of freaks me out a little bit. Okay. Anyways, the last time I uh, shit my pants still drinking was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The last time I shit my pants. Uh, so I was drinking back then. However, I was on a 10 day juice cleanse. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's so stupid. I don't even know. Basically, I just like put real food in a blender that's not what that should be anyways that is so, not a I know, I know i know i wasn't <laughs> there wasn't anybody there monitoring me so i didn't know how to do it really but so the only thing that i was ingesting was liquids and um it was uh as your old boss said a fart that wasn't 
And, <laughs> <laughs> and so there was leakage, as he also put it. Yeah, oh yeah. It was oh, bad. because you were like liquefying your burgers? Yeah, there was something solid <laughs> inside of me. Wow. Yeah, so it was. It was like three years ago, probably to the day. Let's just say March 18th, 2018. Yes, yes, you remember. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last juice cleanse. <laughs> yes, yeah. Amazing. Okay. Um, what good thing came out of 2020 for you in the lockdown? Did you even um, have a lockdown? You live in Texas. Uh, we did in the beginning. Okay. Really up into, uh, it's, oh my God, that's for another podcast. But, <laughs> um, um, but yes, we did have a lockdown and just quarantine in general. I mean, it tested my ability to like practice self-control with, you know, and evaluate my relationship with alcohol. A part of my issue with my drinking was for a while at my previous job, I worked remote like a hundred percent of the time they were out in Arizona. There was truly no oversight. And I was kind of like spinning my wheels a little bit. So I just started drinking from home. Yeah. And it's so what I, what I did not want to happen was now being forced to be at home all the time and like fall back into those habits. Um, so I maintained like my therapy sessions during that time. Mm -hmm. I, you know, have not had a drink since November of now 2019. Amazing. So my sobriety had been my decision to be sober, lowercase s. Um, <laughs> to not drink or do drugs was very, very new. And then fucking the world fell out. Like it was crazy. And we had just taken a family trip to Nashville. We left like March 11th. Really? We came back. We flew back the day before all of the airports shut down. Like all of that happened. We were in Nashville. They were setting up for the NCAA basketball championship, whatever that is. And so <laughs> it was like, um, it was like all this hubbub on the street. There were all kinds of outdoor events that were being set up. Like we were walking through the city, everything was normal. And yeah. then like that Wednesday, it was like a ghost town outside. It was bizarre. All these empty bleachers were still up, like random, like basketball hoops were in various stages of setup. And just nobody was there. It was wild. Wild. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so my sobriety has been um, tough to maintain during yeah. this time. However, um, you know, I think that it's uh, a testament to uh, the people in my life who I have been very honest with and who have been very honest with me. And they're yeah. the ones that had the conversations about my drinking and um, how chubby my face was getting. <laughs> And then, uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, and just kind of like a testament to my own self-control. I love and how that. To that. Mm -hmm. I went through a very similar journey. Yeah. What was your, were you an over-drinker like when you were out or were you also doing it at your house? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no one really sat me down and had a talk. It was more like my anxiety and depression meds weren't working. And mm. my doctor was like, how much are you drinking a week? And so I lied and cut it in half. <laughs> and she's still, and he's still like, that's too yes. much. <laughs> yeah, she was like, 
you should probably get help. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, so then I told my therapist and she was like, yeah, I agree. And I was yeah. like, you treat Did you do her? any classes? Um, yes, I went to a 12 step program. You did? Mm-hmm. Was it like um, spiritual based? Did you do that whole route? You don't seem to me very spiritual. I mean, maybe that's wrong. Very religious. Great. Love that correction. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a, I will say it's a really wide hoop to jump through. You, you need one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that a fat joke? <laughs> Fine. Um, <laughs> as far, just hang up. As, yeah, I know. Okay, bye. <laughs> we're not, we're, we have to skip another week. Uh, <laughs> No, it's it's a really wide hoop to jump through what your higher power is. And I am sure. talking wide. Like some people's higher power is what they call a GPS, which is a greater pussy in the sky. <laughs> oh. oh <my laughs> Sorry, that's like a swear, swear word for you, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, other people's is Dolly Parton, the ocean. Sure like just love in general I mean especially being in California yeah I wasn't the first one who was like stop saying God Mm -hmm. yeah but that was a really hard part of it for me how long was that program um it's can it's a continuous okay yeah you're still kind of in it yeah 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 Yeah. I mean, the program's kind of like fight club and the first two lessons or rules of fight club are you can't talk about fight club. Okay. So that's why I'm being so roundabout with my responses. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Emphasis on round. What? (laughs) Another (laughs) bad joke. Jesus. Um, I've been so serious and like sincere this whole time. I haven't even like made anybody laugh. Sorry, listeners. I'm really funny. (laughs) Okay. But wait, did you like decide you were going to get sober and then you were just off to the races and you're great at it? Or did you relapse at all? Um, so this, so I've, I've done several iterations, like a lot of, you know, going a year without drinking or whatever else like that. And I would say that generally I had been successful when I wanted to, but yes, there were for sure reasons why I decided that this, this time I really like really, really, really needed to take it seriously. I started out with, um, with a book and it was called sober curious. And this is, this is my thought process behind capital S sober versus lowercase. And so she was talking about how she had gone to, um, all of these alcoholic anonymous courses and she was like alcoholic even seems like a big word and like why am I getting hung up on that and she was like you know um I don't want the pressure of if I do have another drink to be a relapse Mm. you know it is this is a decision that I am consciously making to not drink and I should have the power if I so desire to make the decision to drink knowing what I've done in the past. It was less about being addicted and having that sort of compulsion to drink. And it was sort of, I mean, mental gymnastics, whatever it was, but it was sort of her 
um, her journey to consciously, continuously make the choice not to drink rather than being afraid of what that next drink might do kind of a thing. Got it. Yeah. That makes- she always talked about, she was like, remember your last drunk, not your last drink. And it's when you like, remember, when I remember sort of the fools of that I have made of myself in the past, um, it's very easy to say, you know what, I've been okay without having that person show his face recently. Yeah. Someone else was telling me they read a book called the easy way or something along those lines. Okay. And it's basically the idea of it proves all the myths of alcohol incorrect. And it also gives you a lot of education of what alcohol does to your body and it's poison and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the book, you basically see alcohol as bleach. And even if you go to a party and everyone's drinking bleach, you're you're not going to drink bleach. It's fucking bleach. Uh (laughs) And so it's less about like, the temptation or whatever else, but it's more just like you are so educated on it that there's no way you would choose that for yourself. Yeah, well, and there's definitely like a vanity to it as well. Like I am not gonna lie and say that I don't feel and look better than I have in a very long time. Okay, I really think the whole world would go sober if they knew how much weight you lose. Mm -hmm. Like that, How how, that, how great your skin looks. It's actually wild. I know. I know. You just take better care of yourself all over. I mean, it's, yeah. We didn't know know that part. (laughs) (laughs) Great, you masturbate. We're so proud of you. (laughs) A lot, a lot, a lot. And in the car to answer that one question that I saw. Oh my God, I couldn't (laughs) believe that. Yeah. Have you ever masturbated in the car? And the great part is a lot of people thought it was just a question I was throwing out. And so they sent me- They're like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, one girl was like, well, I just wanted to make sure I stayed awake on the way home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, I've masturbated in every seat in a car. <laughs> in every seat, in every car, let me clarify cute mom Uh, (laughs) um (laughs) what am i legitimately bad at you yeah um i don't know that you and i know each other well enough to really answer that question that's true if you had to describe me to someone who doesn't know me how would you describe me abort No, I didn't say you could go back in time and try and talk to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think like uh, ballsy. Do you like that? Is that an okay word to describe you as? Strong. Sure. I'm Use whatever word you want. I'm not going to get okay, offended. Great. Um, yeah, like. Real shafty. Um. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mentally ill. Uh, <laughs> my mom was so offended at that part. She was like, <laughs> "When Paula said that about you me. or whatever." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Best I'm a fan. Friend. Do you hear this? I'm a fan. I'm listening to you. I know you're like quoting every episode. Do you have a favorite episode so far? You know, it was wild. I your boss, your old boss, sounds truly amazing like and for a long time I thought he was gay um I had seen him um you had maybe featured him on your 
he had been a part of your stories or something where it was like ask Nick or whatever and you would just yes. ask him random questions. Yeah. So I liked him a lot. Um I like how he admitted that he had never heard your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, what a dick. I know, yeah. Um it was so wild. And I just I actually watched the recording of you and Josh Myatt. Um yeah. it was such a mind fuck because I didn't really know him in high school. We, you know, the chasm, him being straight, all of that stuff. I wouldn't <laughs> want, um, that was not a thing. He was also, you know, admittedly the uh, captain of the football team. Like I was not a part of any of that. Um, but in my, I remember him because I know the family. Yeah. And so in my head, he should have been 16. You know, like, I was like, who is this person? And he had such a deep voice. Yeah. It was very weird. Um, and like, I went to his, um, I went to the Myatt house over Thanksgiving, like last year for a party. Um, so it was just very weird to see him and you again, who I really know as like a young child <laughs> more than as an adult, even though I consider you a friend and everything, but it was just so weird. I was like, ah. Oh, this is um, so unprofessional. Sorry, it's my mom. Um, <laughs> should I answer it? Tell her what I just said about the cars. Um, and so that one was really wild. And it's always interesting. He sounds like such a good person. Yeah. And you, you know, you make assumptions about who people are based on the roles they played like in high school. And he, it was so interesting. It was so weird to hear him talk about the pressure that he had on him because of how athletic he was and how high school was its own like maze for him to navigate and carrying you drunk out of <laughs> parties and presenting you to your family or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> what an angel. I know. So he sounded so nice. And that one was um, it was just so, it was weird. It was like, they're talking about stuff that I know, you know, there are any places I know people yeah. I knew in some capacity. It's, it was just like a very strange. Yeah. Twilight kind of. Yeah. It was a weird thing to watch. Amazing. Okay. Two more questions. Okay. Last serious one. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Two things and I was doing my research <laughs> I posted them on my Instagram at Brad Tabulous um oh wow that's what we call a shout out friends <laughs> um anyways um and I'm trying to get to 700 followers okay <laughs> oh my god that is so cute that's so cute <laughs> um and so there are there are two quotes my favorite author is Kurt Vonnegut which is a lot of times like you get an eye roll because whatever but there is a, um, a quote from him, and I'm going to read it to you now. And oh it God. says, it says, hello, babies. Welcome to Earth. It's hot in the summer and cold in the winter. It's round and wet and crowded. At the outside, babies, you've got about 100 years here. There's only one rule that I know of, babies. God damn it, you've got to be kind. Oh. I love that one, and I always get so weepy talking about it. 
And then the other one is um, you can't hate yourself into a version of yourself that you love. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I needed to hear that. Crazy, right? I'll send yeah. it to you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I have such a tough inner critic. Yeah that expects me to do everything perfectly the first time and yesterday and <laughs> uh-huh do you day. find are you are you as critical of yourself being sober or are you any less hard I'm less hard but I think it's Good. more like I have I don't it depends on what I'm like now that I'm sober like I have no excuse why I'm not getting all of this shit done like huh for some reason, I don't get to rest now that I'm sober. Right. Well, you Uh, also have more time in a day. I mean, let's be clear, like the days are longer. The days are way longer because you have to be present for the whole day. Uh (laughs) No one talks about how exhausting that is. (laughs) Uh Yeah, you are like, once you're awake, it's, there's no like- You're like, oh, we're doing that. Uh Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, then the fucking day just happens, I guess. Yeah, it for sure does. Yeah. But I mean, I think like life is a bigger picture. I'm yeah. way less just like, fuck it. I'm not in control. Shit's going to happen and I can either accept it or not. Um, but I think in like a productivity and efficiency way, because sobriety was crunched right in with a lockdown, I just really struggled with feeling productive, efficient, and not basing my self-worth on production or efficiency, mainly because it was out of my fucking control. Yeah. I went from doing like six comedy shows a week to doing none. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, I just found this thing that I feel like I'm good at and brings joy. Like I've never experienced it before. Yeah. Now I have to fucking sit down and not do it. Mm-hmm. And that's been really, really hard. Yeah. Just telling blowjob jokes to the mirror. <laughs> God, I. <laughs> For Joe <but>, Sr. <laughs> my brother's never come to see my comedy. Um, Have you ever had family on this podcast? No. So I am interviewing my mom next week. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a live recording, which is exciting. I'm going to do a set for about 20 minutes beforehand. And then we're going to sit down and I'm going to ask her why she didn't think I was fuckable before 22. Because <laughs> that's when she gave me my sex talk. I'm like, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> You're like, sorry, mom. Oh, I was like, ship sale, bitch. <laughs> okay, last question. Do you have any friends making anything that you want to give a shout out to? I thought about this question. I don't think that I do. Oh, okay. Well. Sorry. I know. I know. They're all corporate and uncreative. Oh, I don't know. No, We're all the worst. <laughs> shout out to Target. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this up and coming retail shop. Um, it's going to be huge. You guys at Target. Um, go go, go uh, follow them on Instagram. Okay. We love you. Thank Thank you for this. This was so fun. I feel like I got to learn so much about you and you gave such good advice and I appreciate you being so vulnerable. 
Thanks for asking such great questions. This was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I was so nervous. And then when we had to postpone from yesterday, I was like, oh, she just keeps moving the end zone. I'm like, <laughs> But I'm still recording. <laughs> I'm, I'm actively shitting my pants right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> okay. That's why it got so dark. It's good. Bro, I be telling you, bro, she spray gas on the stage. She hella funny, bro. Stephanie, Stephanie, Stephanie Foster. Catch her on the stage. Yeah, you know she's a monster. Hair done, nails did, always looking so proper. She the real deal like some homemade pasta. Everywhere she goes, she flow like the water. And she's too hot for y'all, unlike your mama. Always cool, no need for drama. She spit straight gas like a petrol llama. 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 She spits straight gas. Like a petrol, petrol llama.